and welcome to Let the Bird Fly. Uh, this is Sophia. We're bo- broadcasting in the backyard of our house in Milwaukee. And who are you joined by? Um, today we're joined by um, my father, Wade, Mike, and Anna. And what is Let the Bird Fly a podcast about, do you remember? Living freely in a world given back to us. Very good, and that's about as far as I'll make you go, since I don't think you even know the topic for today, but that was very well done, Sophia. Um, the lawn is freshly mowed um, by, I got it started and then had the boys actually, for the first time, the boys did the majority of the front in the backyard, and so Nicholas uh, worked tirelessly for about 10 minutes uh, on this, that's and then I, I went over it again today with the uh, the hippie mower, the old real mower, to even it out, but um, <clears throat> we are going to be talking today about one of Luther's works. Uh, I don't know, uh, Mike and I have recorded a bunch of episodes. We've been in the backyard. Some of these have gone kind of late. Um, but I think we've had some fun topics, and we've managed to get a few good guests in there too, Pastor Bordelin and Pastor Dobler. <coughs> For instance, we're a little earlier today. We're at 7 o'clock in my backyard. And uh, we have been theology heavy, so we are looking forward to a nice spate of guests when school gets started of some less theological stuff. But we're going to be talking about today how Christians should regard Moses. It's a work written by Martin Luther in 1525. Um, you can find it in Luther's work. So if you are curious, feel free to uh, look that up in volume 35. It's pages 155 through 174. But I just wanted to share as we start... Um, Something from the table talk of Martin Luther. So these are notes that people took as Luther spoke. This is from volume 54, and I used this actually in a paper I gave once at a fallacious conference. Um, I could not find the paper, but I remember the title was Moses the Lutheran. And I kind of uh, came up with that title off of this, um, supposedly talking at the table, December 14th, 1531. Um, So what season of the church year would that be, Anna and Sophia? December 14th. The time before Christmas? Advent. Very good. So an Advent of 1531, which is one year after the Augsburg Confession was presented, uh, Luther said this, I won't tolerate Moses because he is an enemy of Christ. If he appears with me before the judgment, I'll turn him away in the name of the devil and say, here stands Christ. And this is the part I love. And the last judgment, Moses will look at me and say, you have known and understood me correctly, and he will be favorably disposed to me. Uh, Anna and Sophie, do you have any idea what that means? No idea at all. So don't feel bad, listeners, if you don't either. We will be unpacking that as we look at how Christians should regard Moses. I will just, as we make our way into the disclaimer, which we forgot again, and uh, Dr. Berg did a pretty bad job at it. Last time he made a stab at it, he just made something up. Uh, Anna or Sophie, if one of you wants to look in the bag, unless Sophie thinks she has it memorized still. But uh, I will just briefly mention we are a podcast. Oh, Anna found it. Good. We are a podcast that is part of the 1517 Network. Encourage you to uh, check that out. Maybe look into some other podcasts. Find some you like. If you don't find any you like, at least still like us. Keep coming back here. And uh, with that, Sophie, do you want to try saying it from memory and then Anna will help if you forget? Or do you want Anna to read it? Um, I'll try. All right. Sophie will read our disclaimer. Peter and Ben are not here. Uh, Peter is uh, still building a room. 
And uh, he's got half I the floor. I was there. He's got about half the floor in. Uh, he, it's amazing he does that. And then uh, Ben, I assume, is watching uh, animal fights. <laughs> I can't be too hard on Ben. I uh, I had headphones in my Microsoft Surface this week, and then I pulled them out to put them in something else because I was listening to um, one of the episodes we recorded because the, the SD card timed out, so I wanted to see what we lost. And uh, went over, and Ben took about a half hour, but he got that piece that had broken out of the surface, thank God, and uh, saved me probably a rather expensive repair. So whatever he's doing, he was a, he was a good guy to me this week. But Sophie, why don't you give us the disclaimer? This show doesn't speak for our churches, our church bodies, or our employers. To be honest, most of the time, it probably doesn't speak for ourselves. We will be thinking out loud, a lot, so approach what you hear with a healthy skepticism. Because, well, as a responsible resident of planet Earth, that's probably what you should generally do with almost everything. If you find yourself getting too worked up, tune out, look around, and realize you were just listening to a podcast. That's right, a podcast. So go live freely, my friends, and don't let us get in the way. us to our scripture narrative which is taken from Deuteronomy chapter 18 the uh, fifth book of Moses beginning with ver- verse 15 uh, going up through verse 22 and I'm not going to unpack this a lot now but I'll leave it for uh, us to unpack in our discussion of how a Christian should regard Moses but as we uh, will get into discussion and it might sound like a, a little bit that Luther is even hostile towards Moses um, we will remember that even in Moses, we find wonderful promises like we find in this text. And so uh, listen and see if you pick up on it. Moses wrote, The Lord your God will raise up for you a prophet like me from among you, from your brothers. It is to him you shall listen. Just as you desired of the Lord your God at Horeb on the day of the assembly when you said, Let me not hear again the voice of the Lord my God or see this great fire any more, lest I die. And the Lord said to me, They are right in what they have spoken. I will raise up for them a prophet like you from among their brothers, and I will put my words in his mouth, and he shall speak to them all that I command him. And whoever will not listen to my words that he shall speak in my name, I myself will require it of him. But the prophet who presumes to speak a word in my name that I have not commanded him to speak, or who speaks in the name of other gods, that same prophet shall die. And if you say in your heart, How many we know, how may we know? Sorry, I was watching Sophie's face gestures here. Um, how, we, how may we know the word that the Lord has not spoken? When a prophet speaks in the name of the Lord, if the word does not come to pass or come true, that is a word that the Lord has not spoken. The prophet has spoken it presumptuously. You need not be afraid of him. And uh, embedded in there is one of the wonderful promises of the Old Testament, and we will be discussing in the main topic how it came to fruition. And that brings us to the free-for-all, where, as Peter says, we discuss what the, the pressing issues of our day or something like that. Um, and so, 
This is a first for a free-for-all. No one else but me knows the free-for-all topic. And it's probably a couple topics that maybe we'll get into, and it'll be thrown to Mike um, as part of it, too. But as you have heard, I am joined by the lovely Sophia and Anna Johnston. And uh, the lovely Sophia and Anna Johnston have had a busy week or two. Um, before you went to Grandma and Grandpa's house in Detroit for the week, um, which was lovely, yes? Yes. Detroit was lovely as always? Yes. Yep. All right. Very good. I like to hear that. Um what did you guys have before that, before you left? You had, you went to some place and you had what could have been a pretty anxious thing. You had to do a lot of things people told you to tell you to do. And you were getting scored. Uh, tryouts. Tryouts for what? Softball. Tryouts for softball. For what kind of softball? Fast pitch. Fast pitch softball. For West Alice Wolves fast pitch softball. Yeah. <laughs> um, let's see if let's rep one, two, three. Ow. Yeah. Um, one, two, three. Uh, stop it. <laughs> all right, Sophie. Why don't we start with you? Um, you have never played fast pitch softball before, have you? No. No, and you had a tryout you went to. Yeah. What was this tryout for? Really. Well, what age level? What? Eight U. Eight U fast pitch softball, and how'd you do? Good. Did uh, did you get an offer? And in, in club softball, what is an offer, Sophie? Can you explain that to people? An offer is when they ask you if you're going to be committed to the team and if you're going to play. Did you get an offer? Yes. Did you accept? Yes. I just was like, I accept. And my mom didn't even say anything. Yeah, did you accept before mom and dad even got to talk about it? <laughs> yep. Um, Anna, you're in, you've played now three years of club softball? Did you have a tryout as well? Yeah. How did that go? She didn't get an offer yet. <laughs> Is that true, Anna? You've not received an offer I yet. I don't know. You don't know? Well, has your coach called? In the mic, hon. No. No? The coach doesn't need to call. You can just be like, hey, Anna, come here. I want to talk to you what about you your tryouts. Who's her coach? You. Huh. Because I've offered... A lot of girls for our team. We have a full team right now. You just be like, Anna, come here. I want to talk to you about your tryouts. So, Anna, what have you heard so far? Well, I would like to, uh, Anna, formerly, uh, give you an offer for the West, Wales, West Dallas Wolves 12U White team. Live on air. This is a podcast first, Mike, is it not? We are offering a, a youth sports offer for club sports it's like a scholarship do we have like paperwork she does not accept no because i still have to pay for it for her to play (laughs) she does not accept um your teammates may be listening and uh a number of them you know well and they're probably looking forward to playing with you visually you can't see this but there's three hats in front of her like they do for high school football one's the wolves and one's uh couple other teams yeah. or whatever so she's she's choosing which team to be on so don't this don't is like a like lebron accept, moment yeah what was that called the the, the choice decision, the, the decision. decision where are you going to take your uh what did he say i've only tried out talents? for one team so so anna would you are you accepting the offer from and this is your only chance to accept yes the you are yeah sophie do you support that decision this is the only team that would give her offer. She's so bad. <laughs> oh, that's Stop not it. very loving. Hey, Anna, Anna, <laughs> Anna, Anna, what position is your best position? What do you play mostly? 
Shortstop. Nice. But she still sucks at it. Oh, hey. Hey, hey we don't say those words. <laughs> <laughs> You're not any better. <laughs> um, all right. Well, I want to segue now, and this is where maybe uh, Mike can join in or Dr. Berg to you guys, um, even though you already called him Mike earlier, which was extremely familiar um, of a statement. That's okay, though. We're in 2018 in the Midwest. We're all friends. Um, and Mike, maybe you can jump in after they talk about their week. But one of the things that, uh, as you get older and you have kids that you do is you send your kids away with their grandparents. And now I know you guys have sets of grandparents in, in different spots that aren't necessarily local. Although, um, I guess, uh, your parents are as local as my wife's parents, about an hour away, hour and yep. a half. Yep. Um, but, uh, Anna and Sophie, what, uh. What what do you what do, what does Grandma t- call this time that you spent with her this week? The two of you special time special time, and so the boys go together for special time. Nick and Ziggy, um, Maggie gets to go alone because she needs a break from from all of you. Um, what did you guys do in your special time? We went places. <laughs> right now, this is where podcasting. Um, you want to be specific about the places. These are things people might be interested in. What are what was your favorite place you went, uh, Anna and then Sophie? Can I smack her yet? <laughs> she keeps being in the mic when I want to be in the mic. Well, then, Sophie, why don't you go first? And no violence. What was your favorite place you went for special time? Turtle Cove. What is Turtle Cove? Our listeners are unfamiliar with this, except for maybe two. Okay. If those listeners are my mom and dad. It's... <laughs> Or anybody from Michigan around that area. Anyways, it's um, a water park. Well, that is about two miles from where Dr. Berg spent a lot of his youth. Do you know what Turtle Cove is? I do not, sorry. So, yeah, <laughs> so you might have to explain a little. It's a water park. Bam, bam. Okay, that was your favorite thing? Yes. And Anna, what was your favorite thing? Airtime, a trampoline park. The uh, So it was jumping in airtime? Yeah. Did you do the thing the boys went where, something where you run into each other? No, they went to a different place. Okay. Um, well, anyways, I've been and I told uh, Doctor Berg, uh, Mike, to you guys, um, that I've been reading and really enjoying "Grace and Practice: A Theology for Everyday Life" by Paul F. M. Zoll or Paul Zoll, and some know the Zolls from the Mockingbird uh, Ministries and and things of that nature. Um, but one of the things it talked about was how, uh, well, what grace looks like in everyday life in different settings and how really grandparents are sh- about showing grace, hopefully, um, to their children, which they show by then, uh, you know, kind of spoiling the grandchildren or things of that nature. So, Mike, I'll throw it to you without getting too much into the book because I, I really think we need to talk about it. It's one of those that not every um, Wells or Missouri listener is going to agree with everything in it, but... It's it's one for me. It's very rarely that I read a book and I go, there wasn't a lot new in this, but there was a lot new in this, if that makes sense. But uh, anything with uh, the kids and grandparents or sure, and sending gra- them away, whatever the case may be. And grace to the parents for taking the children for a little bit, too. And, and he really goes into detail on this, yeah. Yeah, and it's you need that in life where you need somebody in your life who loves you really unconditionally as much as we human beings can. And uh, just to bring in vocation a little bit, we talk about vocation, kind of you have spheres of vocation, so um, <clears throat> which is always connected to a neighbor. So a mother may have a, this, you can imagine a circle, 
and that's the sphere of her influence on, let's say, her daughter. And then there's the sphere of grandma's influence on that daughter. And it may overlap those two circles, like a Venn diagram. Um, but what happens when things get out of order, and sometimes it's of nobody's fault, other than just our sinful world, maybe the mother dies or something like that, um, or has to work. Well, just hold on. and Or it may be of the mother's... Um, fault because of something that she did in her life she's not be able to be a good mother but when the grandmother has to then take on the role of mother and in love that's a legitimate vocation but you can already sense that things just aren't right because grandma's got to be mom and grandma and that's there's something missing and who suffers well grandma does a little bit but the child suffers they maybe don't have that that um that uh undeserved kind of love you know where grandma's gonna sit down and say i understand mom and dad they're a little bit stressed out so let's go have ice cream because grandma's got to be mom too and you can think about somebody who has to be mom and dad or or whatever it may be so uh there's a lot there and 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 a child does not a child needs grandparents a child needs friends grandparents episode that would be a really good episode Uh, a a child needs all of that we write that down peter we talk about a child needing a mother and a father but also friends teachers maybe aunts and uncles grandparents all of them play a role and i would imagine that uh uh zal has speaks about that a little bit when it comes to everyday grace where there's just a sense where mom and dad are kind of like moses like a lot there's a lot of rules and uh, mom and dad need to be Christ to them, too, and just once in a while say, you've been really awful today, and so what I'm going to do is we're going to go on vacation, and uh, or I'm going to go buy you something. Just this completely out of the ordinary Which grace. Which I did this week. I took the, the kids that were here to cops every day, just <laughs> out of grace. Just, just because the, and we the got, girls weren't there. we got the flavor of the day every day, double scoop waffle cone. Uh, Mike, how would you describe Sophie's face right now? She is she's mouthing threats to me. Not happy right now. Uh, she's not happy right now. So parents have to do that, but grandparents have a special relationship, right? It's different, and it tends to be a little bit more grace-filled, or at least the opportunities are there for that. So you girls should feel very blessed to have grandparents that are still alive, that still can take you in, that can still take take you in and go do fun stuff do your kids have a favorite grandparent activity or or is there um so my in-laws are uh, up north and so there's a little bit more nature involved when they go and, and in the midwest are... up north just means nature yeah, yes it, nature and michigan wisconsin all of it it just means you're not in the city it's it could be like west right <laughs> it's just us up north yeah it's it has no directional pr- i mean as, i remember going you... Going an hour south to camp and going up north <laughs> to go an hour so, south to camp. You know, so, it, as some people say, up north is a uh, disposition or a, an attitude, not a uh, not a, not a direction. Um, so, but uh, and then my parents are in Chicago, so that definitely is a different experience. They, they haven't been shot yet, have they? No, very very. I um, heard every third person was shot this last weekend in Chicago. They live in a very pleasant. Uh, neighborhood in Chicago, but they do lock their doors. Um, well, Anna and Sophie, maybe if you don't mind sharing, what is your, your favorite thing about, not thing you do, whatever else, what is the big draw of special time? What are some of the things you like about getting special time with grandma and grandpa? Um, getting to spend time with them and leaving my siblings. 
And I think there's something to that. So you get time away from your full family. Are you happy to see some of the family when you come get, back? Get a before? little bit more attention, right? A little bit more attention. Okay. Sure. So I agree with Anna, except she only said siblings. I get to get away from Dad, too. Well, that is sweet of you. <laughs> what a... The only person I miss at special time, most of the time, is Mom. So what would you say in... And this is uh, just lovely of Sophie, but um, what would you say is the most difficult thing about coming back from special time? Because I know what I think it is. That I have to see all my siblings and I have to see Dad again. All right, Sophie just lost like three sanctification points. I think there's a pastor uh, in, uh, well, I won't say what state that keeps track of those, but if he is listening, he should deduct those uh, from her. Um... Would you say it's difficult coming back after being spoiled? Are there always a few days of adjustment? Of uh, No, it's not really being spoiled. It's mostly like leaving Grandma and Grandpa. Because they're way better than you and all my friends. Oh, you were, you were heading down the right road there, Sophia. Yeah, you, and you, you started off and now you're just being nasty. And that's not like you. I think you're trying to be too <laughs> podcasty. But, um, but maybe Mike, if you want to. I mean, there is something to... Uh, Getting to be spoiled, huh? Just getting gifts. I think so. I think, and you can think about so many children that maybe don't have these relationships or they don't have, their families don't have the means for that. And uh, we, we look at maybe like a, oh, a tough inner city kid and they have no discipline, no law. Oh, they have plenty of law. Um, the problem may be that they don't have anybody that shows them kind of a an unconditional grace, right? And sometimes we just had this discussion. I, I don't know who it was with. But some people that maybe do not have, and this is not necessarily inner city, it's also very much rural, it could be anywhere, it's suburban, but um, you look at a child uh, where they have nice shoes or they have the nice new bike or whatever, and the family uh, can't really, is not responsible enough to pay for the things maybe they do need. You know, and you go, geez, what they're they're total train wreck of a family, blah, blah, blah. And I suppose there's, you know, uh, you got to use your means wisely. But I wonder if those parents or those grandparents are like, you know what? We didn't make maybe the right decisions and we don't have the wealth that maybe we should, um, whether it's their fault or not. And I'm going to show my kids something special once in a while. So I think we're maybe a little bit too quick to judge sometimes on those matters. But, you know, you can't. Everything, everybody's an individual there and you don't quite know what's going on in their family, but uh, too easy to judge sometimes. No, I think that's great. And I think there's something about um, the parent relationship where you're just uh, providing what you can for your kids and the grandparent relationship where you can kind of be um, delight in having gone through that to provide some uh, extra things. And I think, too, with, with grandparents, too, it is... Um, on a good day, Grandma and Grandpa don't care if you say thank you or not. Um, it, th- there's a reflection. Does Grandma there. make you say thank you? Yeah. You do it because yeah. it's polite. <laughs> but do they? She's doing it to teach you a lesson. She's not doing it so like she says. Well, they didn't say thank you, so I'm not going to take them in next time. You know, there's a uh, there's a picture of God there that says, you know, I- I'm not so much concerned about your reaction to me as if my love depended on your reaction. And I think. Uh, just lastly, because I, I know they sometimes listen. So Grandpa Johnson got his hip done, and he's now recovered from that. And pretty soon here, he's having his first of two knees done. 
And my question for you, Anna and Sophie, is do you think Grandpa Johnston, when he is bionic and has all his new parts, will be able to dunk a basketball? No. Sophie, what do you think? I don't think he could dunk a basketball before. <laughs> right, but with his new parts, do you think he will be able to dunk a basketball? No. Are you guys confident in this? Yes. It will make it harder. All right, well, um, I'm hoping he can dunk a basketball. I've always wanted to have a dad who can dunk a basketball. I feel like I could really brag on that, even at 40 years old. Um, but uh, we wish Grandpa Johnson the best. Yeah, you want to say anything in case he listens even after the fact? Is he, is he going to nail the surgery? How about you're going to do a great job, Grandpa? Good luck. Really? All right. I already told it to him, really? Well, good. I say it 7,000 times. Well, we wish uh, Papa Johnston, Grandpa Johnston, all the best. And uh, with that, I think we'll make our way into uh, talking about Moses. discuss a sermon that Martin Luther preached in 1525. Um, it's titled, How Christians Should Regard Moses uh, in Luther's Works. Uh, 1525, so um, kind of um, a, a tough tough time uh, in, the, in the early Reformation there. You had a uh, peasant's war around that. You had um, you had uh, Thomas Munster, you had Karlstadt, you have the rise of what we might call the sacramentarians, um, uh, a, a, a people of maybe, let's say, a different spirit than um, the early Lutherans, what we would call early Lutherans there. There was also some concerns there um, with unfair interest rates and stuff like that, and that maybe is uh, part, part of the the scene that we can set here before we talk about the actual sermon. So you can have a lot of people who would say, oh, if we look to the Old Testament, here's a solution to a specific problem in society. In the, especially in the midst of political, social, economic tensions, to try to find an, an easy solve from the Old Testament. Yeah. And I think that's something we'll come back to, that the law almost, not almost always, but very often the law seems to be the easier path. We just have a policy. We just have a law. And so, and Luther's going to struggle with this or, or at least uh, 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 play it out there, tease it out a little bit and say, there, it's one thing to say, hey, they did this in the Old Testament. Let's think about this. Is this is a good way to run maybe like government in a secular realm or even in the church? But it's another thing to say, the Old Testament said it. Therefore, it is a binding law for all time, including Gentiles, and in 1525 in Germany. And Luther's going to uh, go through that, and uh, he's going to say, of course, some sharp things against Moses, and then take them all back <laughs> and say Moses is great, like he often does with everything in his way of speaking. Uh, so that's kind of the setting, maybe. Is that enough, Wade, for that sermon in 1525? No, I think that's good, and it gets at, um, I think you... You described rightly, you know, oftentimes Luther will take away with one hand and then give back with the other. 
But first he kind of has to combat what he sees to be the threats and how people are approaching Moses. And uh, we should have cut the girls out here, but um, Sophie was getting pretty savage with me, so we sent them in. But I think it'd be interesting, and, and I'll ask our listeners and then just pause a little, but um, when I mention Moses, what comes to mind? And I'm guessing uh, for many, just probably uh, the greatest Old Testament prophet, um, the Exodus, um, the Jews being led out of uh, Egypt and out of servitude into Israel. Maybe uh, for for some, though, I'm thinking with Moses comes to mind um, kind of like the rigidity of the law and just here is how you are to live. And I think that goes back to what I read at the beginning from uh, the table talk where Moses will say, or where Luther says, I'll say in heaven to Moses, get away from me, you you know, you lawgiver. And Moses will say, uh, you know, here stands Christ in heaven. And Moses will say, you understood me well, is that we can sometimes miss the best of Moses. And I think we'll get to that in the third thing, the third reason Luther gives for reading Moses. But, um, Maybe let me interject just one yep, thing. Go ahead. Just when when you hear the word Moses, or more specifically when you read in theological writings, especially of of Luther, um, Moses can be shorthand for a couple different things. Sometimes it can mean the law as opposed to the gospel when you're contrasting Moses and Christ. Sometimes it can be uh, the whole Pentateuch. So Moses wrote, you know, Genesis, Exodus, Leviticus, Numbers. And so you're talking about the law and the prophets. Uh, and so law doesn't just mean law as opposed to gospel, but the, the, the whole five books of the first five books of the Bible, which there is plenty of gospel in there. And then sometimes maybe there's times where it means the ceremonial law, maybe, maybe once in a while, or at least that's where he's getting at specific laws for a specific time and place and people, the Israelites, and opposed to um, what we may call the moral law that's written not only in the Bible, but in the hearts that are applicable to all people. And so, and that will be important, the distinction, or, or understanding what natural law is. Yeah, Yeah. so there's, there's, there's a lot going on there, and, and like all academia, um, you, you have to understand what the writer is saying, and a lot of time writers use shorthand, and Moses, or Luther does that with Moses quite a bit, and a lot of people do too, and, and I always, this is... Yeah, I got actually a question for you, how, how you grew up thinking about Moses in the, in the, in the Roman Catholic Church as opposed to uh, me in the, in the Lutheran Church. We were, uh, I'm very grateful that it was hit home very early on and very often, the distinction between the moral and the ceremonial law. And that's a tough one for our students who didn't get that, right? I mean, you really have to explain that. And that's something that you can't just explain once and go, okay, now you got it. It's something that you really have to think through and you almost have to sit on for a while and you have to see examples of it when you finally kind of clicks for these, for these kids. And, and I think it took a while for me to do, for it to click too. I'm so grateful that I got it early on. And maybe, maybe you can uh, answer that question. Uh, was that, that that ceremonial moral distinction? When did that when did that click for you? You know, I think one of the interesting things with that question, Mike, is um, especially when I was early on taking classes um, regarding Lutheranism, is that it's I would say the defining thing that you have to get around as far as your view of Moses is the Sermon on the Mount. 
Um, and so for me, raised in Catholicism, and, I, and I, this is not to bash Catholicism. I had wonderful... I, I I have an article I'm supposed to write for our synods uh, magazine on coming to Lutheranism, but um, I had wonderful priests. I had great experiences in the Catholic Church. Um, was an altar boy, all that stuff. But uh, but if you read the Sermon on the Mount without understanding the Gospel, you can read it as simply an intensification of Moses. <clears throat> so that Christ has come not to be Savior, but to be an even more serious Moses, an even more um, demanding taskmaster and there are uh the sermon on the mount would be a great episode or series even because even lutherans can't agree on how you read many parts of the sermon on the mount yeah you think there's thunder on sinai i mean jesus just I whoever mean, looks lustfully yeah, at woman, whoever gets angry at their it, neighbor <clears throat> twist yeah. that knife in your and you can either read that as well jesus is showing the impossibility of salvation by the law which would be my take obviously um, or, you know, Jesus is coming to give even greater laws for the New Testament church. And so how do you get around that? Well, you could say, well, these are just evangelical councils. This is for um, the super holy to keep and everybody else will kind of get by on the best they can do. Um, but I would say uh, Moses was entirely consistent with my view, at least initially coming out of Catholicism, um, regarding the role of the law. I will say if I went back to being a Catholic, I'd be a much better Catholic now because having become a Lutheran, and this is something where I, once again, not to drop Flacius, but I think Flacius is really good on, as well as uh, Johann Gerhard and others who look to patristics, um, is that the Catholic Church is also way better on grace than we give them credit for sometimes, too, if you look at the right authors. Um, but I think there's two reasons that it's especially easy to look at Moses and find that to be consistent with... Um, with Christianity, A, every Christian has an old Adam who is inclined towards semi-Pelagianism or Pelagianism. And so there's something in that person that wants a measuring rod, that wants, um, that has an opinion legacy, an opinion of the law that says, I can keep some of this, you know, enough of it to contribute to my salvation. And I think um, B is the, the fact that, um, the idea of life purely as gift is just foreign to us. And, uh, and so it, uh, I think even the most hardened Lutheran and Protestant on their deathbed, this creeps back in that, uh, that it can't just be all gift, right? I, there has to be some way I'm, I, I can have messed it up. <clears throat> and so those are flip sides of the same thing. I want to be able to do something, but on the other side, of, well, I must be able to mess it up. And uh, and so I think what is helpful and what Luther's going to write is taking Moses for what Moses was. And that's why I love that table talk uh, passage I shared. I don't know if that made sense, Mike. but Yeah, uh, no, I would go to that deathbed thing for a second. Um, it kind of irks me when people will often say, okay, we get grace, now let's give these like evangelical counsels. They wouldn't use that term. but Or they understand Jesus as Savior, but now they have to understand him as Lord would be another way of saying it. Right, uh, that's exactly right. And he's the Lord of my life, and now I'm going to, to follow him. And even if you understand that, correctly in the sense that okay i know that i don't do anything for my salvation i know that preachers who constantly preach this soft law are even worse than if jesus actually meant on the sermon on the mount you really pluck your eye out 
right? Um, if he meant that this was actually the way you're supposed to live now instead of first and foremost, um, uh, the what we call the first use of the law. There's third use of the law in there too, and we're not denying that. But when you constantly preach, okay, here's how you can live, there's a lot of people out there that aren't measuring up and they know it, and you're you're sticking a dagger in them and twisting it. And, and it's not so much because of their outward sin, but it's because they are the mother who is barely surviving the weak and feels tremendous guilt because she's not um, the super mom or the guy who is not the, the alpha male and doesn't feel like he measures up. And then you come out of church with just, quite frankly, more guilt. And, and it's, it's law even if you preach it with a smile on your face, right? And so to make Jesus just an example to follow is just a horrendous horrendous thing it, it you got to be really really careful and 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 i don't i never assumed when i was a pastor a preacher i never assumed okay these people get it now let's let's get on to sanctification although we certainly preach the third use of the law or i did but um i assumed that they were beaten down and and that came from experience and talking to people and just the experience of life too. And so, um, it's more, it, it's, this is not just an academic exercise of saying, okay, Moses ceremonial law, um, should we go to the old Testament and be careful that you don't prescribe things? Those are just, you know, if, if Luther makes the point, tithing's great, we're all, but if you make it something that you do to earn God, we get all that in a theological kind of mind way. But in a pastoral way, you just got to be so careful. You just got to be so careful that you're not burdening consciences even more. And uh, there's a few things I want to jump on, but I don't know that's wise for me to do it at this point, Mike. But maybe if I can give just a brief overview of the the sermon itself at this point, if that's yeah, okay. Yeah, and give the three the three reasons. I think okay. that would be good. Yeah. And so, um, you know, Luther is um, preaching in the midst of uh, kind of the tumultuous... 1520s and uh we've talked about you know 1517 is the dad of worms 1518 is the heidelberg disputation um we're gonna have the great uh treatises of 1520 the three big ones um 1521 we're gonna have uh worms um oh, 1521 is worms 1517 sorry is the uh 95 theses i got confused um and uh so 1521 we're gonna have worms things come to a head and just um, the, the tensions that arose after Wartburg with the peasants in Festered were just um, something Luther could never recover from. And this was people who were taking themes from Luther's writings and applying them in their own situation in a way that wasn't necessarily consistent with what Luther was trying to do. Um, but we see here political, cultural, economic, social tensions caught up in religious tensions. And I think just... That fact is instructive for us because I think that we have a hard time in our own day um, being able to step back and ask how all these different things are playing into each other um, and what we're wrestling with and, and the answers we come up with. And the Peasants' Revolt is just devastating. This is not the first Peasants' Revolt. It won't be the last. Um, but uh, but you have people who are... Um, and we'll get into this in the wing that we're recording later. I got to stop recording these two a night because by the end I'm either so tired or just worn out that 
I don't know that it makes sense, but um, but there's there's a real um, tension developing on is the solution to um, the Roman Catholic Church's misunderstanding of the law another misunderstanding of the law, um, and so this is where I think the difference between Zwingli and Luther is so important is. Um, Zwingli agrees on Sola Scriptura, and that's why he's so dangerous. Um, and we talked about this in the episode on the devil behind the surplus, my latest book that, uh, I don't know when it'll come out. We've, we've recorded a bunch of episodes. I mean, we've been really kind of trying to bust these out, Mike and I, and uh, I don't know when Peter will, they might not come out in the order we've recorded them is what I'm trying to say. Is that fair to say, Mike? Sure. Um, but, uh. There's a desire among some of, well, to be Christians is to live biblically as they lived in biblical times. And that can mean we worship like they did in the New Testament, which means they had no organs or no surplus. Or it can mean um, we govern like they did in the Old Testament. And this was very attractive to Zwingli and to Calvin, and it became very attractive to the Anabaptists, those who baptize again. Um, the descendants we have are the Amish and the Mennonites in America, but they were very violent uh arms, branches of this as well. And so Luther's looking, and, and he really sees the Reforma- Reformation at stake because uh, there are people latching on biblical themes, but not in a biblical way. And this is, uh, we can use, we can be quoting and uh, appealing to Scripture, but not be behaving scripturally. And the example a professor used to give in college was, uh, it would be quoting Scripture to preach, and Judas went and hanged himself, go and do likewise. Those are scripture verses. And um, what Luther sees at risk is the very heart of the Reformation, the whole reason it started, which is um, a confusion of law and gospel and where the sinner stands before God. Um, And so we're going to get into early on, he's going to talk about um, two words. The two words are law and gospel, two kinds of doctrine, uh, law and gospel, two kinds of works, um, what we might call civil or civic righteousness, um, the good works that even an unbeliever can do, and then divine righteousness, which is pure gift. It's um, what we alone have through faith. Um, and he's going to get at why God laid this particular law upon the Jews, the Mosaic law, which was for the Jews before Christ in Israel a very specific thing. And this comes up sometimes too in debates today about morality um, where people will say, well, you're saying this is a sin, but do you eat shellfish? Well, A, I don't eat shellfish because they don't taste good, but if someone were to say, like, you can't eat shellfish, um, I would say, well, I'm not a Jew in Israel before Christ. The, the way, just to interject in there before we get any further, um, the way I teach this in class is to say, the old way of saying there's a hedge around Israel, and that seems silly. Why would shellfish, blah, blah, Well, think culturally how things bind a group together, especially in all these weird group. things. And they were meant to be weird in some instances. Yeah. yeah. Just like odd stuff, you know, and, and there were some other things too there that I'll get to in a second. But what I'll say is when you watched, we had the Olympics, uh, the winter Olympics recently, I said, when you watched the Olympics, did you notice that there was a contingent from Moab or Phoenicia or all these other Old Testament countries that besides besides Egypt, which is completely different cult, uh, culture and, and nation now, but Israel still exists, right? Even past the New Testament, Israel like still exists. A different Israel. And that's its own episode, too. But there is, it worked. That hedge around them worked. And then once they produced the Savior, Jesus of Nazareth, 
um, then that specific purpose of that specific nation was not was not uh, needed anymore. And now Israel was something different. Israel, in one sense, was all believers everywhere of all time. We can equate that with the New Testament church in a way. But also Israel was... You know, you think about in St. Paul speaking about Israel that, you know, what a, what a wonderful, you got the gospel first, you know, what a great example you can be. And, and really they did. We don't give enough credit for those early Jewish Christians and, um, uh, bringing that gospel to so many different people. Um, so that hedge thing I think is important. And when people say, well, we shouldn't be against whatever moral thing because we don't eat shellfish or we don't stone people for eating shellfish anymore. Well, you have to understand. Speak for yourself. Yeah, <laughs> you have to understand the purpose of that law and that specific time and place. And, and going back to that original thought that I'm so glad that that was hammered in my head from very early on in my Lutheran upbringing, uh, it's been very helpful. And that, you know, that hedge is important to understand too in the New Testament that has been torn down. Right now there is no Greek or or Jew or Gentile, uh, you know, Greek or no Jew, whatever the case may be, woman nor man, slave nor free. But that was God dealing with, and and Dr. Brown, when uh, he's recovered and we get him back on, uh, is very good on this too of, God had to come up with a law that would hedge real people at a real time. So we might look at some of these laws and say, well, they were so primitive or whatever. Well, sure, they were for a people living in perhaps the most debased part of the world as far as religion went at that time. Um, Violent. I mean, we don't appreciate how violent and and nasty it was. Yeah, just it had to be a law that would work for them. He's dealing with real people. And, uh, but at the same time, some wonderful things in that too, that we'll get to when we get to the, the three things Luther has to say about the, the Mosaic law. Um, but I think also that we appreciate now that hedge is removed, um, that as a believer, what separates me from, uh, my neighbor is simply, they need Christ. It's not my sinfulness or theirs. We have the same sinfulness. Um, it's not some physical attribute, um, and so now, whereas before, um, for the sake of the line of the Savior coming to save all men, uh, there's this hedge. Now it's removed so that uh, there's no reason for me not to um, represent grace to my neighbor. Yeah, and, there, and there's a sense of freedom there now in Christ. And, and Israel had uh, a certain sense of freedom as well, um, you know, in, in a lot of ways. Um, even though it was not the, always the most powerful nation in the area, very rarely it was, maybe in you know, the end of David's reign and Solomon's reign, the, the golden age. But uh, even though it didn't have that kind of military might, um, th- there, was, there was more justice in Israel. There was more human rights in Israel. There was, there was a lot of things that Israel enjoyed that uh, the average person in uh, Persia or Egypt probably didn't, even if it was not always equated with a kind of materialism. So, uh, and, and then to give that freedom there, knowing that you have a God's going to take care of everything and that he has a promised land for you uh, is, is pretty significant. Um, you know, maybe, maybe one other thought. I, Luther's channeling St. Paul here. I mean, St. Paul really makes these distinctions. You know, I, I had mentioned I had preached uh, today and I had mentioned um, 
St. Paul's curious thing of saying how uh, Moses was, uh, or the Israelites were baptized into Moses, but you're baptized into Christ. And uh, later, uh, Jesus, or earlier than that, I suppose, Jesus said um, uh, that, uh, you know, your forefathers ate man and quail and they died, but now you're going to eat me, the bread of life, and have life. Um, there, there, there's those connections there where they're both contrasts between law and gospel but also an appreciation of how God dealt with his people, Israel. And I, I, sometimes maybe we just, we lose that a little bit that, that Israel really did not only give the savior to the world in the sense of Jesus was a Jew and was born of that land and that people, but human rights, um, equality is the best you could get it in that world. Um, between the sexes and between um, the classes, um, we kind of look back and go, "Geez, what a bunch of what a bunch of jerks!" You know, uh, they had all these different laws that made them so much uh, exclusive. Well, I, I, I just you're, love you're where, like, a better people sl- expect God to have given like a 21st century law code <laughs> right. to to you know people living in in the ancient Near East um, before Christ. It just can you imagine how that would? Uh, so here, guys. Um, we're going to have an electoral college mm-hmm. and uh you know it just it it's 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 not only um unfair historically it's anachronistic to judge it it also thinks you have a dolt of a god who doesn't understand right. what he's dealing with yeah, I, mean, and, I mean do you really want a god who doesn't understand who he's de- i want a god who understands who he's dealing with which is me which is uh not the best stuff to be dealing with but i'm grateful he does yeah even if you're um a foreigner living in in Israel, uh, you know. I mean, there's there's certain laws set up for your benefit. You know, um, it's it's. We look back and go, what a what a brutal place. Um, but if you compare it to other places of the same time and place, you have a little bit of a different perspective. And not that you go, hey, it was great living in Israel all the time. I'm not saying that, but. Um, it was better than sometimes we 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 think. And uh, when you really look at these laws with a kind of a little bit of charity, and I'm speaking from a, you know, someone who comes from it from maybe a non non religious background. If you take a little charity when you're reading that and think it through, you 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 do see some you do see some layers there in the law that uh, make you think, okay, maybe this was fairly wise and, 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 and even just. It's kind of like when I get to travel for conferences, I always get a kick out of people will take me out and show me around. And I love that they do it, so I'm not knocking that, but, and they'll say, and this is, you know, this part of town is pretty rough. And as someone who's grown up in the Rust Belt and in several cities that have their own rough sections, um, I always kind of get a kick out of that of like, oh, okay, yep, looks I mean, is is that guy over there a blue collar worker, or you know whatever the case <laughs> right. might be? These things are always on a spectrum, and uh, and we need to understand. Um, I think we look at the past and we think it couldn't have been, you know, they were they were farmers and they they were living the rustic life, and you can kind of have this pastoral type view of like, oh, they couldn't have been that bad. No, literally, like Moloch, like right. they are sacrificing children to idols. Um, 
that is next level right and wrongness and, and that's a there's an apologetic tactic there because often people especially kind of let's say let's say first world have it pretty good highly educated people and they look back at the old testament god and and say how could you believe in a god who would blah 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 well let's say let's say your family is murdered and your children are raped and your child sacrificed to a god you know i am i think you would cry for justice right well, God saw all that done to his children, and we've said this before, maybe he was a little bit more patient than we give him credit for in those times, and his divine smiting um, is legitimate. It's legitimate, especially when you when you think about that time and that place. Maybe one thing I want to bounce off you, and then we should actually get back to uh, Luther's sermon to here. we the three things. Yeah. yeah. Um, I, I may be all wet here, and I can't necessarily prove it but when i look at some of the some of these laws especially the uh the cleanliness laws i wonder if there was a theological reason behind them too some of these laws you could not get around i mean uh, i gave birth and i'm unclean um i had my period and i'm unclean i buried grandma and i'm clean you know there's some things you can't get around and to me it says a packer game (laughs) so to me it says I'm unclean, number one. Number two, I cannot help but be unclean because I'm human. And number three, I have to be cleansed by an outside source. And number four, that's going to have to do with washing. And I can't help but see law and gospel. I cannot help but see baptism. It's a confession of the human condition. And so, uh, you know. And then the New Testament's going to say, and not to interrupt, but. So the Old Testament, like, I got to be careful, all these things that make me unclean. The New Testament's going to say, like, now you go into all the unclean. You recognize everyone is unclean. It's not what comes out of a man that makes him unclean, but what, um, or it's not what's outside of a man that makes him unclean, but what comes from within. And Christ flips that on its head. Yeah, and, and I, my, one of my favorite stories from the gospel is the is the widow's son at Nain, where you, you set up this situation where there's two processions, one of Jesus and his followers, and the other one, a funeral procession of the one and only son of this I widow. I just preached on that for my uh, uh, wife's uncle's funeral. Just yeah. absolutely fantastic. And I imagine they're coming, they meet at the town gate, which they do, right? And uh, They've got to be ready to fight. Right, and, and even... Even in our jaded world, um, you let the funeral procession go by first, but not Jesus. He's going to touch the coffin, which was... And he says unreasonable things. Why are you crying? Yeah. And then, and then to go up and make himself, quote, unclean. But the point is, is that he's the one who makes us clean. And that death that is unclean is going to be made clean and there's going to be a resurrection. And so Jesus is the antidote to this. And so we don't no longer, we no longer need these teachings of uncleanliness and, and cleanliness. You don't have to go to the priest anymore because Jesus is your high priest and he's actually cleansed you. And so the baptism is a one and done. Um, and, and what does he say to do? Right. He then sends us out to the unclean. I mean, that go visit the sick in prison, go uh, the sick and in prison. Go, I mean, this is, yeah. So you can understand why the Pharisees and others are like, dude, you can't eat with the tax collector. But 
everything's changed now. And not only does he go to the unclean, but we are to go into the unclean. And what a beautiful New Testament thing. Go into the, into the worst situation of all, not with this concern, oh, I'm going to become unclean and sinful, but you rather are. that you can give, right? Because, and that's the dual message. Like what he says, it's not what you touch, it's what comes out of you. Like, here's the deal, guys. Okay, you didn't eat shellfish. Great. You're still really, really bad. But you're saved because of my righteousness. Now you can go into these unclean places and you can touch the dead body and you can touch the, you can touch the tax collector. You can speak to the Gentile um, because I'm here. I'm here now. All right, this is good stuff. I'm going to try to quick hit on some of the key points of the sermon. We're kind of unpacking it as we go, but... <clears throat> The third, or the last, um, I don't know if it's what the, are the third, fr- but... What's the first, second, and third? Well, the last two thing I want to I get at is Luther hits on the two kingdoms, the temporal and the spiritual, and he's going to point out that for Israel was the only nation before Christ where you had this middle ground where the temporal and spiritual were um, intertwined, that outside of Israel before that time and, and outside of Israel uh, at that time now until today... Um, you're going to have two kingdoms that need to be distinguished too. Um, and they're ruled differently as law and gospel play out in them. Um, but Luther has this great quote, and uh, I, I just think it's worth mentioning. He, uh, he says, We would rather not preach again for the rest of our life than to let Moses return and Christ be torn from our hearts. And it, what he's getting at there is that we now live in a different time, and uh, Moses coming back is a real risk. Not Moses coming back as in we might learn some stuff from him. Uh, and he even says that'd be great if, if right. our leaders ruled like Moses. but Right. But to rather live under a lawgiver and not under a savior um, would be a terrible thing and it's not worth trading anything for. Um, so Even clo- political security, which is kind of the, the, the context of Luther's sermon right. and the context of our day and today. It, right. And I mean, this is, yeah. At a time of horrible instability, he's talking about political stability, and I mean, and this is the thing with our day too: is we we act like everything is, you know, so unstable, and and everything is a crisis. I mean, can you imagine the peasants' war, and you have you know just people slaughtered, building, I, Antifa, like there was like twenty Antifa people somewhere, and they threw rocks, like this is, or there was you know I don't know, pick something from the other side. I'm not even gonna pick something because I'll get labeled, but. Um, but Luther's going to end that section with, if I accept Moses in one respect, uh, and he's appealing here to Galatians 5.3, then I'm obligated to keep the entire law. To recognize, you know, if you want to keep part of, if you want to make part of the Mosaic law necessary, if you want to say you have to worship on Saturday or you can't eat pork or whatever the case might be, then you've, you're, you're now putting yourself under the whole thing. And the idea there being is you either live life under the gospel or under the law. Um, there's no in between, and when you when you it's seduct the law doesn't come at us or well in in the law is not a bad thing, the devil doesn't use the law um, in a way that says come be under the, all the law, the devil uses it in a very spiritual way of here's this thing you can do for God, or here's this better way to do things, and just be compelled to do it or compel others to do it. And now the nose is in the tent, right? And and Luther's getting at is you're either under the gospel, obedience of faith, um, or obedience of law. And he gives these three things then that uh, Moses boils down to. 
So he says there's three things that uh, we can benefit from, from studying Moses. And the first is examples, positive examples for government. And this doesn't mean uh, rules for government, but examples. Um, there might be th- uh, washing your hands. I mean, the, the Old Testament ceremonial law in many ways was very healthy. Yeah. Even eating shellfish, like when we went to Myrtle Beach and I was reading up on like clams and oysters because I knew people were going to want me to eat them. Like if they're in a sewage area, like they just suck up everything. You're eating sewage. Like there's, um, I mean, washing your hands is good. I like bacon, but pork is not the, it's, I mean, it's not the healthiest food necessarily. There's stuff to that uh, that or, we could or say. Uh, leaving leaving a field fallow without the, right. the modern fertilizers. Yeah, this is good for agriculture. It's, it's, there's 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 layers of meaning and layers of purpose in the mosaic law. Sorry. And um, insisting that there be witnesses before someone's convicted of something. I mean, in a day when there when there wasn't a lot of um, you know clear jurisprudence laid down for protecting the innocent from false accusations, these are very practical laws that they have. Um, the second thing then to notice in Moses is uh, that there are promises and pledges about Christ. And this goes back to the biblical, uh, what do we call it, the narrative, Bible narrative, that we had, um, that Moses does promise the coming of Christ. And Moses is really uh, important in that, in that at the transfiguration, Moses is one of the people there um, who will herald the coming of the Christ. Um, so there are the promises of God which sustain faith. <clears throat> and then the third, um, or, well, what did I do here? Did I, I lost a page. I think you, I think the third was the examples. No, the first was examples. Um, I thought that. Third was beautiful examples of faith, oh, the, love, well, n- not government, examples but of like faith, faith, right? Love not of government, but of faith, Sorry. and of the cross. He says too. And I just in the second, I want to point out this thing that I thought was really good. Um, Luther says so. This is for uh, understanding that Moses has pledges and promises of Christ, but also reading him rightly. Um, Luther writes: One must deal cleanly with the Scriptures. From the beginning, the Word has come to us in various ways. It is not enough simply to look at and see whether it is God's word, whether God has said it. Rather, we must look and see to whom it has been spoken, whether it fits us. And I think that speaks so importantly to um, the task of theology being fresh in every age. And that we're able to ask, as Luther did with the table of duties at his own time, of um, what of the scriptures apply to me in what situations now? Um what was the situation then when it was spoken? Um, am I too focused on what's not being commanded of me, but being commanded of another, and not focused enough on what is being commanded of me? Um, am I losing sight of the main focus? I think, you know, that's just a wonderful point he makes. But the third then would be, yeah, the uh, um, the promises or the uh, examples of faith that are given. And, I mean, Daniel comes to mind, you know, um, in the Old Testament. And Moses here is a type for the Old Testament, we might say, but... Um, but even Moses in dealing with the grumbling in the in the wilderness, um, there are wonder, many wonderful examples of faith that we can find in Moses also. The problem, I would just say in short, if I can sum up what he has to say towards the end, is when we read Moses as if he were the solution to our problems today, as if there were a guidebook for how to be a Christian or how to run a government, um, and thus to strip Moses of his purpose for his time, uh, which was 
you know, this, it was a grace thing even for his time that Moses was given to those people, um, that the line of the Savior should come from them, but also that they should be governed well um, and that they should have their purpose appropriately um, as God had established it. And so I think this is instructive for reading Scripture as a whole for us because, um, you know, it's kind of like when people open up their Bible and then flip and then put their finger on a passage and say, oh, this applies for me, so I can do all things in Christ Jesus. So this means I can get that job. Well, maybe you can't get that job. You know, the importance of reading Scripture in the light of to whom was it spoken, or, you know, Jeremiah, I know the plans I have for you. Um, if you're willing to, like, go through what those people went through before Jeremiah spoke them to that, yeah. like, if, if you're just looking for, like, a nice job out of college, that's not exactly what Jeremiah is saying. Um, so I think there is value in that. I Just with concluding, I would say uh, Luther writes, Thus where he gives commandment, we are not to follow him so far, except so far as he agrees with the natural law. If I can have two minutes, Mike. Um, one of the important things about this sermon that Luther gives is that really there's nothing in the Ten Commandments that applies to the Christian today that is also not present in the natural law. And I think some might find that a somewhat controversial thesis, but I think it ought not be. I think even the the first two commandments are present in the natural law and that, uh, as Isaiah says, even the Gentiles have grappled in the darkness after the true God, right? There's something innate to us that we um, we have a, an inclination. Even the atheist has an inclination to worship. Just what he worships maybe changes. And, I, and I'll cut this short, Mike, because I don't even want to jump it, but... Um, but even in the even in the uh, realm of morals, I think it's important to understand um, there is nothing exclusive to Christianity and morality that is not present in the natural law, although it is made more clear in the revealed law. And here I would say the concept of charity, um, of a neighbor-focused vocational outlook, that is definitely made more clear in the divine law. I think you just turned your mic up, microphone off, Mike, just so you know. Um, and, uh, um, so I'm not saying the natural law is just like conscience. We don't have a, we don't have a a perfectly formed conscience anymore. Um, but there is something inherent, what was written into people, um, that is explicated in the revealed law. It's not foreign to the natural law, if that makes sense. Yeah. We need Peter here because, uh, what came to my mind was, I think you can make an argument that uh, the Greeks really got virtue as close as you could without um, having um, a biblical revelation. And the reason I say that is because they really thought that through and how that plays out in everyday life, that um, certain things that that are excessive are bad, um, that there is a concept of other people um, there is the concept of doing good, and that's good for not only society, but for you. But I think what's missing, maybe, and this is why we need Peter here to, he will correct me, is is that love of neighbor. And then, of course, uh, the ultimate love of neighbor to have the forgiveness of sins proclaimed to them. And so I think you're, you're right in saying that. I had a couple other thoughts while you were talking. One is, Moses is very pastoral too. Um, you know, he prays for Israel. He goes and he, um, on Mount Sinai says, you know, don't, don't kill these Israelites, right? These are your people. And a beautiful example of prayer there that, that, that Luther kind of, I don't know if he directly plays on it, but he certainly has this, you know, take a fistful of God's promises and, and shove it into his face, you know, and we, we got to have a whole thing on prayer someday too. 
an episode on promise would be good too. Yeah, and and just uh, and maybe another point to not to get myself into trouble here too. If if you disagree with me, you can email Ben. Ben at Let the Bird Fly. He's our theological at podcast something. something yeah. yeah, he's he he's the uh, doctrinal. Um, Actual uh, overview. Yeah, overview. I, that's what I'm looking for. The, uh, but we can see Jesus as the true Israel, right? They go out into the wilderness and they fail, but he goes out into the same wilderness, not for 40 years, but for 40 days, and does what they could not do. Um, he is the, you know, the the uh, he's the true uh, or the second Adam. He is the he's he's. We see a type in him with David and and Joseph, but I also think with Moses too. I mean, Saint Paul really makes that connection between Moses and Jesus, not as oh he's like Moses, but he's a he's the better prophet. He's the he's the leader who actually can fulfill the law, and that's where that that idea of fulfilling the law. I think needs to be unpacked a little bit more than just, okay, he was perfect when everybody else failed. But when we're talking about that, the widow's son at Nain too, like he, he fulfills a law in the sense that he, he, you don't need it anymore because of him. And this is, I think just briefly interrupt what to me is always most surprising about those who, will emphasize the Anselmic theory of um, of uh, uh, atonement, uh, which is basically, you know, penal or, or vicarious atonement, That the idea that Christ paid the price for our sins, which I affirm, Mike, I think you mm. affirm, right? Yes, we, absolutely. We, we totally get this. And they'll say, like, you know, there has to be this justice that was met, but then at the same time, they will then proceed in a way as if the law had not been fulfilled. Um, so that now the law isn't this thing given back to me, um, as God's will, as the redeemed child of God, but as if though now, like I'm supposed to fill it, or else I'm not a Christian, or I'm an antinomian, something else. Um, I think you're at something good with that. Yeah, yeah maybe maybe this will uh, dovetail into that, and I think uh, go to the heart of our podcast too. Uh, thinking a lot about uh, Israel coming out of Egypt, they did not do well with freedom, right? They say you brought us out here to die, at least in Egypt. Um, we had pots of meat, onions, and- right? We had vegetables and stuff like that. Uh, we don't do very well with freedom, and and we're never going to do well with freedom because just think about it this way: we um, are slaves. So think of the slavery in Egypt. We are slaves to the sin, the very sin that we've been freed from, right? And that's the dynamic of being a sinner and a saint. Um, we don't do well with freedom even beyond that either. I mean, we have great opportunities to uh, do good in this world. And, and, and notice, not to follow the law for the sake of my own virtue, but for the sake of my neighbor. We have, we have great opportunities to do some great things in this world, to study, to read, to learn, um, to do charity, to, uh, to really what to we... To use virtue theory to habituate myself to serve my neighbor rather than use virtue theory to make myself virtuous as as yes as a signal right that i am more virtuous than you and um but that's hard and so we like the israelites grumble and say we'd rather go back to the law we'd rather go back to slavery where we have these laws that are fairly simple I mean, we, we talked about how difficult it was to maybe keep the law. 
in the Old Testament. I mean, like impossible in some situations, but also in other situations. Well, I'm just not going to eat pork. And well, I've told my fish deal. sandwich, you know, you know, story of working at Burger King as a Catholic and giving a hard time to my Protestant yeah. friends about them eating uh, meat. And I was on my like seventh fish sandwich of the day, <laughs> a fat kid with tartar it's sauce just, all over my face. Yeah, it's just it seems easier. It's navigable. Or to enslave ourselves to um, whatever is easiest. Maybe it's just watching TV all day, or maybe it's 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 whatever it is. Um, we don't do well with that kind of freedom. And so when, when Israel comes onto the scene and then we go into the new Testament, they produce Jesus, as we said before, in that sense of he was born a Jew in Nazareth or in Bethlehem and lived in Nazareth. Um, they also give a sense of freedom that I think you don't really find anywhere else and whether they knew it or not whether the, this was unpacked in their theology or not it came from grace you had a god who was going to take care of you he was a god who made promises to you and you knew where you're going after this place at least as least those who were faithful they knew where you're going and that there's a certain sense of ah okay it's taken care of and so not everything depends on if i get this job not everything depends on if we get the right person in uh whatever political office not everything depends on uh the right here and the right now and from that freedom you actually can live the third use of the law um with a certain sense of love and uh, uh, th there's a lot of parallels between us and Israel in that sense. And I think maybe that's, Luther didn't say this in the sermon, but we can look back at the Old Testament and say, Moses was a really good leader and he was a prayerful leader and he was a pastor. But because we have Jesus Christ, the better Moses, uh, we truly live that freedom. We truly live that 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 sense where the law is a beautiful thing and not just this hammer, not only a hammer that, that crushes us to pieces. So first it crushes us to pieces, then we are forgiven, and then it becomes this beautiful thing for us. And that all has to do with living freely in a world given back to us. Yeah, and we, I mean, that now we have this wonderful wealth of uh, thought to draw upon from the Old Testament, but we're not bound to it because we're not the specific people to which those laws were given. So, Mike, if you don't mind, I'll just close with what I read at the beginning, which is from Luther's Table Talk. Uh, and he wrote again, I won't tolerate Moses because he is an enemy of Christ. If he appears with me before the judgment, I'll turn him away in the name of the devil and say, Here stands Christ. In the last judgment, Moses will look at me and say, You have known and understood me correctly, and he will be favorably disposed to me. And I think in there is a warning to all who would misunderstand Moses and turn him into uh, something that he was not. Uh, the law came through Moses. Grace and truth have now come to us in Christ. And the Savior of uh, Moses is my Savior too. And at the transfiguration, who is standing there looking at the Christ who is about to set his face on Jerusalem? But Moses, he sees the end of the law, the righteous one whose righteousness is now our own. And so encourage you to check it out once again if you want to um, read it. It's a short sermon, but, uh, well, it's short for Luther. For Luther, yeah. Yeah, but um, very, uh, I think, helpful and instructive. And you can see if you think we've been faithful to it. But it's uh, from Luther's Works, volume 35. And a great, anal a great picture there of a house fodder beating his... <laughs> Servants yeah, and that stuff, isn't there as well. You know? Yeah, um, pages one fifty-five to one seventy-four. How Christians should regard Moses, preached in fifteen twenty-five. 
And otherwise, with that in mind, uh, hopefully we can go forward asking how the scriptures apply to us in our day in the freedom of the gospel with a desire to serve our neighbor and simply let the bird fly. Uh, every evening when the sun goes down, get with my party and I begin to cry. I don't care what the people are thinking. I'm not drunk. I'm just a drink. I set them up another round. I set them up another round. I set them up another round. One more round won't get me down.